Okay, so sadly, you and I missed the country's bicentennial by a few years. That is very sad, but true. And we are looking at just a few more years and we will at the be at the semi-quincentennial and we will have to say that word many times. So question wow. for you, out of the following modes of transport, which would you be most interested in to celebrate America's 250th birthday? Mm-hmm. Would you like to travel around by train, retro, by submarine, I'm not going to tell you where you're going, by hot air balloon? In a rocket owned by a billionaire or in a portable cake, but sponsored by Dolly Parton. (gasps) Well, I am sitting here drinking out of my what would Dolly do mug. So I think I have to pick the Dolly, whatever that option might be. But, you know, I do get claustrophobic and I'm afraid of heights. So the hot air balloon and submarine are out. Second choice would be train because I do love train travel. How about you? I'm choosing an option I didn't list because I already chose it, which is a time machine. And I'm just going to go back to the centennial. I'm going to go like 1876 vibes. I refuse to do pre-penicillin time travel, but I celebrate that for you. That's really brave. Thank you. Uh, welcome to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm Allison. And Allison, we gather here today to celebrate and give thanks for truly one of the most out-of-pocket books these eyes have read, and that's Julie's Journey, her book five. If I didn't know any better, I would think that we ghost wrote Julie's Journey. Yes. We didn't. Megan McDonald wrote this book, but... This is a book that definitely speaks to a lot of bigger themes in American Girl. And this had me thinking back to Rebecca, which was kind of like the more modern, like second wave of historical girls who nonetheless are just like an absolute pleasure to read. Like we are not in be forever times anymore. No, but it's like there's something about this book that's both it combines a lot of things that I love about some of my favorite American girl books, which is like it invites thinking about an interesting moment in American history. So I have like had so much fun getting into a deep dive of like bicentennial culture, which is like truly insane. But then also like the book is like the plot event, like conventions themselves are so crazy. It literally feels like this book is like a companion piece to National Treasure. It's been a minute since we've been on a true saves the day journey. And this book kind of checks all the boxes. Like Julie goes to a new location, like a third place and a third rail for no real, I would say, there are apparent reasons, but no real reasons. None that her I can tell. alleged, no, her alleged best friend of the previous four books completely drops out for a short period of time. A new person is subbed in. She gets put into a series of contrived situations. Like, I think that Julie could be a national treasure, but Nicolas Cage could not be in Julie's journey. <laughs> Listen, they don't romanticize wagon travel in this book. And I don't think, you know, he's getting older. I don't know his exact age. And I do think, you know, he's put himself in a lot of weird, you know, positions for films. But can he, like, actually sustain being on a wagon trail? I don't know. I mean, I did see him. Is it the second one or the first one where he's at Mount Vernon in a secret passageway or something? And, you know, we could imagine him, like, shaking hands with President Ford. But I... I just don't think he could do like the square dancing and a prairie dress. I just don't think he has what it takes. Who are you casting in the film version of this or like Netflix limited series version? Like who is Julie in your mind? Wow. I don't know that many like tween or young, younger than tween actors at this moment. So I'm going to cast mine older and I hope that's okay. Slightly older, but I am casting Jojo Siwa as, as Julie. I think she's got the chops. Um, You know, she came up through Dance Moms. Like, she knows about conflict in American history. She's lived it. Um, I don't know. That's just my gut feeling. But, like, do you have a different casting in mind? I want Jake Gyllenhaal as the dad because I think that our, like, slow six-book breakup with the dad would be healing generationally for a certain group of people. To me, there's something like charming about like a Kiernan Shipka or someone to be Julie, but there needs to be kind of just like Mm. a very soft, very sweet face. 
I feel like a new like Linda Cardellini type plays the older sister. And I just like don't know quite who that is. Mm. But I think we have to cast them as like very different looking, but somehow still siblings. I, I don't know. I feel like the dad has to be like someone who's Hollywood likable, but villain adjacent because the dad's truth has not been made known. Wow. Yeah. And Jake Gyllenhaal is like his own all too well history. I think, you know, and it, like we're moving into holiday season. Like, does anyone feel safe wearing a red scarf anymore? Like that's the impact this man has had on the culture. So I feel like if we cast him as a pilot, you know, with a past that he's not willing to speak about, I think he could carry that off. Who's playing mom though? That's kind of where my head's at. Maybe Linda Cardellini. I don't know. You're like, so she's on just... a Linda Cardellini then. <laughs> like you're like, what is going on? Are you rewatching Freaks and Geeks? No, I just, she's in your I head. think it, it needs to be someone who has like a really great Hollywood look, but who could also kind of blend in at Glad Rags. I feel like Hank needs to be cast by a character like possibly a Cusack in the American Girl tradition. Wow. Honestly, like no one knows what Julia Roberts is doing. I could see her coming out of the woodwork to be mom or bizarrely yeah. like Reese Witherspoon. Nobody no. can tell what project she's going to take on ever. Or like Reese Witherspoon taps Laura Dern for some reason. Like Ooh, we just don't. Laura Dern. It's not for us to understand. I need someone to play mom who I can believe has done knitting or crochet IRL. And I believe that Julie Roberts' ha- hobby is knitting. Yeah. And Laura Dern, if you told me she knits, I'd believe you. Or she like I makes her own granola. You know what I mean? Like that kind of. There's moments in my life where I'm like, could I be that person? who like, you know, just casually is like, it's one thing to be like, I'm throwing together a Chex Mix for a party. And then I feel like I'm a five-star chef, but it's like, it's quite another thing in my mind to be like, and now I'm making granola. Like, yeah. Like when we were in grad school, we knew someone um, who was like, yeah, I was eating Lara bars a lot at that period of time. And they were like, why are you throwing your money away on this? Like you could just be making your own Lara bars. And I'm like, whoa. I can't even begin to understand like what that would look like. And then I remember like Googling it and I was like, should I do that? Should I just like be a person who makes, I don't know. I mean, people can write to me if they think I can pull that off, but I I don't have, I can't play mom is what I'm saying. Like I'm not casting myself, but I would, I think Laura Dern's good. I'll include Linda Cardellini. I think she could carry it off. We need a brunette. So Laura Dern may not be in, but Julia Roberts could. That's true. I mean, you know, maybe Anne Hathaway. I could see Anne Hathaway as a great mom. And it kind of lets her meditate on Princess Diaries from a different angle. It's like she's been a San Francisco tween and teen, and now she's coming back as an adult. I don't want to put, you know, before we get into the plot of this book, like you need to know that it's about a bicentennial journey. Would you ride in a covered wagon for more than five minutes for any circumstance? I'm aggressively shaking my head now. Like it's, it's such a no for me. Like I can't even, and were you having PTSD flashbacks to that time we went horseback riding, reading this book? Like I've never wanted to be around a covered wagon more than after reading this book. This empowered me. This made me feel like I could do this. I would do this. I do think under the right circumstances, I could train a horse. (laughs) I just believe that in my heart. I think that they either speak to you or they don't. And that's just something I feel I could do. See, the diff- this is probably a difference between us is that you read this book and were like, I feel like I could train a horse. I would love to ride a wagon. Whereas like literally last week I went to work and I caught like a view of myself in the mirror and I was like, this outfit inexplicably gives like I may own a horse, but like that's as close as I'm ever going to come. Like. I admire horses. I think they're beautiful, but like, do I want it? I mean, when we went horseback riding, even though I'm saying this, I was frustrated because the horse didn't go faster. Right. Like I wanted to gallop at a certain point. You're kind of like, we were moseying along this trail. It was beautiful. But like, I'm like, let's go. Like I want to like vroom vroom. And that wasn't on the menu that day, which is fine. We were all very safe, but I don't know. Like maybe I just haven't had the right experience, like, but camping, I mean, that's the thing I'm really objecting to about this book. Like, have you gone camping? Would you go camping? Where are you at on that? I have. I can't say that it's top of mind or top of list. I think that the context in which all of this is taking place trumps everything else. So the idea that I could be part of a special national commemoration, that's the highest thing. And then I would tolerate all the rest of this to that end. 
Okay, so after we talk about the book, I'm glad you're saying this, I'm going to read off some example celebrations that took place nationally, and I want us to pick, if we could hop in the time machine, what is the thing that you would want to do? Because there was a lot of different celebrations, many different ways of commemorating whatever, the nation. Um, This was just one path. We only turned 200 once, and that might be for the best. Like, honestly, for the best. Um, You know, people went nuts during the bicentennial. Like, there was a lot of stuff going down, a lot of merch. We talked about merch in the book here. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess, like, we should just hop right into this book. Like, there's so much to, so much to say about the bicentennial. Hello, everyone. This is Mary, and I'm back to talk about one of our favorite sponsors, Uncommon Goods. It's officially time to kickstart your holiday shopping. Mariah Carey has finally told us the holiday season is here. But listen, everyone, there is no cause for panic. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for mom, dad, teenagers, what a terrifying thought, in-laws, or your best friends, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Now, I want to tell you about something that's like a greatest hits for me. Like I fully got this as a gift more than a year ago, and I've ordered more than one, and I've gifted it to other people. And this is me, you know, taking a moment to speak to those of us who maybe you're anxious, maybe you love an ASMR video when you're working like I do, or you just love those fidget toys. It's called Therapy Dough, and it's modeled after clay used by art therapists. This dough is infused with essential oils for stress relief. And I'm not even going to lie. Like, do you need a reason in 2023 to be stressed out? I mean, I guess that's just where I live anyway. I got the lavender therapy dough as a gift like two years ago at this point, and I absolutely love this, legit love this, have gifted it to my mom, people in my life I love. I find the smell of lavender very calming. I won't even discuss the, you know, the ban on Moonlight Path happening at Bath and Body Works. Not This is not an ad for them, and I'm upset with them, but I am a lifelong lover of the lavender scent. So when I got this... It was like love at first play, love at first scent. It's sort of like adult Play-Doh that smells really good and calms you down. I keep it at my desk. I use it all the time. Highly, highly recommend. And, you know, that's just one thing on this site. You can hop on there and find all kinds of stuff. I have a dream of like growing a lemon plant indoors, almost bought. You can buy like a lemon plant kit. Maybe, I mean, write to me. Should I get involved in that? What's the best way? Anyway. All to say, so many things you can buy. Cannot recommend this place enough. I genuinely buy things from them all the time. And so it's really easy for me to recommend them. To try it yourself and get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash American Girls Pod. That's uncommongoods.com slash American Girls Pod for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. I would give us the very quick summary, and it really is giving Nicolas Cage, so we'll talk about what actually happens in this book. Julie joins her cousins on a wagon train in honor of America's bicentennial. The journey is filled with adventures, challenges, and self-discovery as Julie faces her fears to make an important contribution to the wagon train. When an important document disappears, it's up to Julie to save the day. Megan McDonald said, you're not letting me write a saves the day book. Too bad. I'm doing That's what you're anyway. doing. She was like, I'm not just saving the day. I'm saving our country. Yeah. She was tasked with setting a story in 1974 about a 10-year-old. And she said, try uh-huh. again. I will have this girl turn 10 years old circa Earth Day, <laughs> 1976. And I will set book five then mysteriously almost right after from June 13th to July 4th, 1976. And she said, oh, you want a California story? Yeah, she's going to be in Pennsylvania. She's in Pennsylvania. She took us to Valley Forge. And for that, I may never forgive her because I didn't need to hear about George Washington in these books. Like, this is not his space, but here we are again. I I feel like there's like, I'm not floating a conspiracy theory, but I feel like Megan was like, I want the books to be set in 1976. And American Girl was like, we hear what you're saying, but no, because we do yeah. our whole four thing. 
And she was like, okay, that's cool. And then basically like played fast and loose with time. And and honestly, I respect her for that. She wanted, I think also, and this is something that is absolutely already playing out with the way that the country is celebrating on a national scale, the 250th. I think it somehow felt incomprehensible to have a California girl be all in on the bicentennial in spite of the fact that People in California, like very much went all in war garb that would not have been worn in 18th century territory that becomes the state of California. But regardless, I think they wanted to situate her in a real place that would have resonance in a kind of throwback to other characters. And I think there's something culturally where people want to explore the story of the revolution only in certain kinds of places. And Valley Forge felt like a likely candidate. It makes sense that we didn't touch Philadelphia. That's kind of Addy country. But it absolutely tracked for me with the way that national conversations are going that instead of just doing a California story justice, we Mm -hmm. had to go to a battlefield on the East Coast. Yeah. And and it's interesting, too, because of all the Revolutionary War sites they could have chosen, they chose a place that was known for its hardships And, you know, yes, it's a place like associated with Washington and his military prowess, question mark. But sorry, like, go look into Washington's military history. Like, I'm not even going to go there. But like, I feel like the way we talk about him is very strange. And I'll just leave it there. But I think if you look into the history of the bicentennial commemoration, something that's really interesting is like the national planning was originally meant to focus on like one city and they couldn't agree, as you're saying, on one place. Like, was it going to be Boston? Was it going to be Philadelphia? Like places people are obsessed with thinking about the revolution. And like, basically that falls apart. So then they're like, okay, we're going to do like local state focus. And so we have like all of these different initiatives that we'll get into. But it's interesting that like the book kind of mirrors like the national like conflict over it. Like instead of focusing on one place, it does kind of take us Yeah, we're in Pennsylvania, but I think like having the reference to like the Alaska wagon and she's coming from California, we get on a plane to get there. It's like we're trying. I think Megan was trying to kind of emphasize like this is a national movement, question mark. Also, why was mom not engaged in this? So it's very important to know also that Tracy and Julie are going to the East Coast to connect with cousin April, who's never existed up until this point about her. Dad also makes it clear that he's not really going to participate until the absolute last second. And we're also learning that part of why they're doing this specific task is that it connects to Julie's lineage through her father with Tracy. But dad is not present, like amazing metaphor for this country, right? Just like the male leadership is not there in the 70s. Mom is completely left out of the commemorations. I found that really, really a an interesting choice. There are women who are strong and who are part of this story. It would have been super fascinating to see mom creating like DIY templates for how to engage with the bicentennial, like creating Eagle merchandise or something. But mom is very much cut out of this. And there's a sort of weird thing happening. Like it's the sons of Cincinnati, like the patrilineal ancestry is the one that matters. Like that's what gets privileged. Dad has this connection And so that's where they're going to explore, which I think is very much not what happened. Like women were huge leaders of local commemorations in 1976. Yes. And I thought that was really strange, too, because I think she missed an opportunity here not only to represent like the real role that women played in commemoration, but also to kind of like from the jump, like we could have had a scene with mom and with Hank where Hank's like, we are barely removed from the fall of Saigon. Need I remind you, I'm a Vietnam vet. And now everyone wants us to fall in love with the country as if like none of these heartbreaks have happened in the 70s, like Watergate, Vietnam, et cetera. And mom could have been like, yo, as you recall in book three, we never talked about it, but I did try to apply for a loan for my business. And like, (laughs) the women's movement is like popping off. And no, we're still not using that word feminism, but... I'm actually going to do my own protest, like no taxation without representation. Like I will be like doing my own women's movement protest. I'm going to Boston. I'm going to places where this happened. And Hank could have been like, I'm down with that. Like we're going to do like counter programming. And that would have been really like interesting to then have dad be like, no, like this is a moment for nostalgia and patriotism. And then Julie's like at war again. 
between her parents. But instead, like, to me, this reads like the most conservative book in the series. Oh, like it's only it's like extremely patriotic and the view of American history and the references we get are extremely conservative, like very white, which also doesn't represent the truth of bicentennial commemoration either. No. And there's a really great note. I should say, I think this is a strong peek into the past. There's a great note about the confluence of national commemorations with the release and major success of Alex Haley's roots and the way that there's kind of multiple tracks by which people start to study their ancestry. I do think we can't go further without noting Julie is on a very sort of analog, low-key commemoration. She is in a covered wagon. But nationally, there is something called the American Freedom Train, which she is aware of, which was created by none other than Ross Rowland Jr. Like, how did a Rowland name happen and not get dropped? Like, this is how you know that we're not in Pleasance country anymore. Like, we are in the Mattel universe because Rowland and his fascination for steam locomotives and his engineering background, they said, we're not even going to go there. We're going to go full Kirsten. You're getting in a wagon. Yeah, which like, you know, these things actually happened. Like these were some of the mm-hmm. things that happened. So like the thing that Julie's taking part in is part of a real nationwide, excuse me, program where 50 wagons plus 10 others, one for each state started and they did a reverse pioneer trip. So they started in the West and they came East and they really did um, end at Valley Forge on July 4th. And President Ford was there and he received their rededications, which we'll get into But, you know, it's interesting that we went full Kirsten here. Like there were also like ships, like tall ships, um, Operation Sail. There was the train, as you mentioned, that had exhibits with, you know, objects from American history that you could go see across the country. We're not on a train. We didn't get on a boat. Like here we are in this wagon. You have such a mirror in Tracy because there's a fight about whether they're going to wear a pioneer garb. And mom has to tell Tracy, you can wear blue jeans Thank on the you. wagon and insists that she takes a pioneer dress anyway. And Julie says, think of it as dressing up for a big giant birthday party for our whole country. And then she kind of has this moment. And I think this is maybe one of the funniest American girl lines of all time where she says, give me liberty or give me death. And Tracy retorts, give me my hairbrush. Wow. Honestly, I, what is she wow. on? Can we have some? Tracy, like, like, we don't deserve Tracy. I just want to say that. And like, Tracy also brought Mystery Date, the board game. Like, of all the things, like, if your parents sat you down and were like, Allison, yeah. we are going to send you, no need to say thank you, for three weeks on a wagon train through rural Pennsylvania culminating at Valley Forge with a cousin you've never met before. You don't remember. You met her when you were very young and your aunt and uncle and a cousin who's a weirdo who we'll get into. What are you bringing with you? What's making it into your very small luggage? I'm bringing the largest container of airtight. Like I use one of those like shrink wrap things. I'm bringing as many goldfish crackers as possible, Mm -hmm. and I'm also smuggling a chapstick. I know these are like brand placements that I shouldn't be doing. I think it's fine. I've really learned about myself. Like nothing turns my day around when I'm peckish than a handful of goldfish crackers. So I just don't foresee myself ever making a journey without them again. I love that for you. I mean, it's sustenance. It's but you're not (laughs) you're not taking something to distract you because, you know, things on the trail get boring. And that's what Tracy's like locked on to where she's like board game. This is also I'm sorry, this is part of her continued rejection of dad Mm -hmm. because this is about a literal patrilineal journey and she doesn't support things. I also think dad, honestly, He acts like he's a hero for picking up a Philadelphia ship so he can meet them later. Dad, the whole point is you should be here for this trip. Wow. Kind of like George Washington. He's not actually a father. No. Like not not afraid to go there. I think for me, I would bring seltzer um, and I would also try to find a way to bring Stoke iced coffee, which is my preferred coffee. I would need like extensive cooler situation. I haven't really thought this through. Um... And, you know, some copies of Us Weekly. I don't really know. But 
I just would never make this journey. So I respect that we land with them. And I also just want to share, this is one of my favorite quotes. So we're on the plane. That's where Tracy's like, or before they get on the plane, she's like, give me Liberty, give me my hairbrush. Also like quoting Nathan Hale. I was like, you guys are sending me and we're only on page like four or five. As you know, he's the official hero of the state of Connecticut. And that's kind of like, I don't even know how to feel about that. His home, you can go to his historic home where he actually never lived. And it's like, there's a lot there. But she says on the plane, Julie, after having the exchange with her dad, it was strange to think about George Washington and his soldiers, pioneers like Laura Ingalls and her family, and now her own family flying through the air in a jet plane, and how they were all part of the same country. They were all connected. And she's quoting Laura Ingalls because she chose to bring her Laura Ingalls books, all of them, on the trip. And she feels like she's going to be reenacting those books. Um, it's interesting that, like, we get this image early in the book of, like, how Julie's imagining American history. And it's all, like, her, like, it, she's collapsed time. And she's like, me, yeah. George Washington, the Ingalls, like, we're all in the same thing. I thought this was the book that probably of everything we've ever read out of American Girl. And I think people would attribute this to Courtney, right? Like Courtney is a wink to the fans. Courtney gets a Molly doll. Right. I think this is the most sincere and earnest look, right? It's sort of like the equivalent of someone looking at the camera on a sitcom of what this all is because Julie is us and we are Julie and Julie believes she's Laura Ingalls Wilder, right? Yes. The way that all these things collapse and slide together. I marked that off as one of the more beautiful passages in the book because I had this experience, right? I had the experience of riding in the back of a truck and reading the Dear America story about Valley Forge and being really nervous that none of them seem to have chapstick or proper socks. Right. I feel like this is such a wink at the fandom as much as it's a book for a 10-year-old girl in 2007. Mm -hmm. And that's what probably made it one of my favorites, right? It's a love letter in some ways to being this girl, like to being the girl who puts on the dress or wonders what it would be like to live inside the Laura Ingalls Wilder books. Yeah. And actually is willing to go places and do things, as you're saying, that make you imagine like, oh, wow, like I'm in a place where George Washington walked around. Like we've all had that sense of wonder if you're interested in history at all and you go to a place that's historic, you're like, oh my God, like people lived here like 300 years ago or whatever. And you do have that sense of wonder. So it's really cute that on the plane, like we get that reflective moment from her and she sets out at the head, the start of the trip, her mom gives her a journal and she writes down that she has the following goals for this trip to ride a horse, learn pioneer stuff like building a fire, sleep in a tent, make friends with cousin April do something special for my country. And I thought that was interesting because I guess like, I don't know if I'm too cynical, but do you think that kids today like have that sense of patriotism too? Like, is it instilled in the same way? Is it as deeply felt? Um, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm more curious. I don't have an answer to this, but like, I think that that's where you can kind of see the brand stepping in. And from the very beginning, like patriotism was something they wanted to inculcate in girls in particular by putting them at the center of these stories. But like, is that, is the same desire to instill that like within the brand now, like generally, like, is that something that kids books do? I think there's such a discomfort, right. Around asking people to make certain kinds of connections, right. Even the connection with Laura Ingalls Wilder, it has some, you know, like air of distaste or discomfort, right. Because there are aspects of her stories that are really abhorrent. You know, Mm -hmm. so this book being now 16 going on 17 years old, that's changed. You know, so much has changed at the same time. Most people do still expect children to pledge their allegiance to this country. Right. Or people Mm -hmm. are being raised in communities where, you know, a deep connection or love of country is expected and nurtured and encouraged. And for other people, right deep, deep criticism of their country is their way that they show that they are loyal. So I don't have an answer, right, about, I don't think nationwide, right, there's a consensus. I think we look back now at this commemoration almost 50 years out, and we can kind of 
it's sort of like a marriage recommitment ceremony, Mm -hmm. right? Like it kind of reeks of desperation on a national level. Like if the country was a pair of like real housewives and husbands, it's like, no, like we're just going to Hawaii to reconnect. Like the country desperately needed to have something that would bring people together. And I think Julie here is a vehicle for showing like it worked for some people, right? Julie is a little bit cynical about some things, right? Like her, not cynical, but she's tried certain things and not had easy wins. Her, you know, attempt to actually enforce Title IX or her attempt to save the Eagles. These weren't quick and easy victories, but she keeps trying. Yeah, and I think like having this be a story about a child, I think um, makes it a bit easier to purely focus on the narrative of nostalgia or like reapproachment rededication because you don't have someone like Hank in the story who has, you know, an adult experience a very recent experience of something that feels like a betrayal or like a trauma. And you don't have someone involved in the civil rights movement. You don't have someone involved in Watergate. Um, You know, all these things that have made the seventies feel depressing to people who then for whom like the bicentennial had to be this healing moment. Like when President Ford writes his autobiography, like he writes about the bicentennial purely as something that he claimed healed the nation. And that was like basically what his whole presidency was about, like pardoning Nixon, wanting to get the country back to a place where people didn't feel disengaged from their citizenship, but actually like we're proud of being American. And I think the bicentennial is a moment where you can see like how desperate people were to make that happen. Julie also feeling like there is a clear place for her, you know, that by putting on the dress that this kind of gives her buy-in and that she's able to participate. Something I found kind of intriguing and in line with American girl overall, but something that like we've just seen so much of very much giving us Felicity vibes. So much of this book, we kind of like get all this backstory and preamble of why she's doing this wagon caravan. And then I would say more than half the book is about her struggle with a horse. Yes. Which you're like, is this a metaphor? I mean, in the Felicity books, it's so obvious. It hits you over the head. Like the horse is literally named Penny for independence. And it's sort of like, I need to liberate this horse. Like I need to like make my world safe for independence. And in this book, it's like, okay, so we get to the wagon trail. She meets April and her other cousin, Jimmy, I think his name is. And her cousin and family are farmers. They're on their own wagon. She's and Tracy hop in. They're going to spend three weeks together on the road. And immediately, like, Julie wants to ride this horse called Hurricane, who's a huge horse, to kind of achieve one of those goals. We also learned that part of this, there's this ongoing saga intention of the people who sort of like seem to be here for the right reasons and the people who are just trying to sell souvenirs. Yes. And it's extremely important to Julie. And this will become like the central crisis of the book that she solves to suss out which camp people are in. Yes. And where we're going to find this is in like the central goal of the wagon trains or like this major kind of collaborative thing that they're offering is that people who come out to visit the train as it goes through their town can sign a rededication pledge. And everyone who's on the wagon train, including Julie, has to sign it. And it's rededicating yourself essentially to the preamble to the Declaration of Independence that, you know, you believe in people's right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So that's part of it. So they're collecting all these signatures and there's competitions between each wagon, like the state wagon reps about who can get like the most distinguished signatures. But there's also like these souvenir hounds who are like following the wagon train and April kind of drops on page 21, the rules of fight club and or the wagon train stay together, safety first, especially when cars are on the road and no making money by selling wagon train souvenirs to people along the way, exclamation point. And that's in part because there's like a green station wagon who's following the train and it's like decked out in flags, like selling all kinds of stuff. Honestly, I kind of feel like that couple like deserves a rewrite. So they have Daniel Boone caps, right? Shout out to Mary Ellen, who like would have, maybe it's her, like would have absolutely loved this moment Um, and quote, a dressed up couple in a wagon that said just married. Bringing up the rear was an old green station wagon with an American flag on its antenna. 
say what you will about Megan McDonald. Like she's going to give you the clues. Like the green is how we know that he's greedy. Yeah. Right. Subtle. And as much as like we're exploring Julie's ancestry, right? Because dad has sort of set all of this up with the cousins and the family. We're also going to connect with someone who is a descendant of a signer of the declaration. And for Julie, that's a really especially important moment that she gets to have. It also makes you think about, you know, a very small number of people put their names to the declaration because that was potentially, or it was a seditious act and potentially signing your own death warrant, right? Depending on how the war would have turned out. And the thing with the 1976 effort is it's about quantity, not quality. And Julie's like, yeah, but we need certain people to sign also. And it kind of speaks to this thing of she almost values it more once there's a declaration celebrity. I think that's definitely true. But like every other book in this series, I also think there's an emotional wound at the center of the plot. And I think for Uh, her, it's like, she Dad. well dad's always at the core of everything but i think when she falls off the horse so like april finally is like do you want to ride hurricane and she's like yeah sure whatever and <laughs> hurricane like she's going fine and then her, she actually gets what i wished for riding a horse which is hurricane starts to gallop and then it stops abruptly and like flips her over into a creek so she gets soaking wet and i think she's embarrassed and April's yeah. like basically immediately like, OK, like, look, get back up on the horse. Like, that's the best way to learn, like on your first try. And so I think like because then she wouldn't be scared and whatever. And Julie's basically like, I'm out, like I'm done. And she ends up being like really like like giving the silent treatment to April as if that has like helped anything ever. And she's kind of sulking by the fire at night and Tracy and April end up playing mystery date together and they're laughing in the tent and she's alone. And then Aunt Catherine comes over to try to console her using genealogy. She's not doing well by the campfire. And honestly, it's pretty rich of Tracy to say, are you still sulking when we've read the previous four books? Girl, that's like half your personality. No shade. I respect it. But like, that's been like a huge part of your behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, she's feeling Josefina style. I think she's feeling a lot of shame that not only she fell off the horse in front of this cousin that she's hoping to like impress, but also that her reaction to it wasn't just to get back up on the horse, but to feel so like embarrassed or something that she basically like shuts down for the rest of the day. So it's interesting that Aunt Catherine sees this go down and is like, well, Julie, like, did you ever hear about Elijah Kelly, a.k.a. Lightning Kelly? You're like great, great, great somebody. And she's like, no, who's that? And he was like a um, postal or what do you call it? Pony Express, Pony Express. rider. And the way that she moves through this is she's like, wow, I thought about what Lightning Kelly would think about me like falling off the horse and I bet he would have laughed. And that's how she kind of snaps out of it. But then she's like, it's like when you have a fight with someone and you're like embarrassed about how you behave during it and you can't just say like, hey, I like I feel embarrassed. Can we just like move on? I'm sorry. Instead, she's like. I think that's where the idea to like get the oldest signer, the oldest person in Pennsylvania, who's also a Revolutionary War descendant or signer descendant to sign the rededication. I think she's like, well, what if I do this like overcorrection, impressive thing and I do it with April on a horse like that will write this embarrassing wrong. Yeah, there's really two elements to Julie's rebound. The first being the story that Lightning Kelly, who was a teenager at the time, uh, brave robbers, snowstorms, and mountain lions. Okay. That like no job is worth that. No. But she also catches her doing something. Um, she sees her biting her nails. And instead mm. of saying, like, hey, we haven't really been at like a great rest stop or a bathroom for a while, like there might be some reasons where I, why we may not want to be doing that on this particular trip based on what we've learned from Oregon Trail stories. She look, watches her chewing her fingernail and she says, That's exactly what I do when I'm worried. It's like, we're reaching, girl. Yeah. Like, it's fine, you're but we're You're trying to reaching. make a connection and you're reaching. Where's the high shelf? Because we're reaching. So I like this. I like that they all kind of have a shared language around Little House on the Prairie, which I know yes. people have very valid criticisms of, but it feels fitting of the time that in the 1970s, people of Anglo descent, right, are clinging to this, that they're saying, like, this is something 
that we're seeing on television. This is something that we have access to in the books. And this is kind of how we're making sense of what the situation would have been like for our ancestors. Yeah, I think that's an important point. But I think what's going what's interesting is like the books take even a wider berth on that than the actual like documentation for this trail. Like the official program of the trail is online at the Ford Library Museum, which we'll share. But they kind of explain like what they think they're doing with this and whatever. But what's interesting is like it makes sense that in 1976, white people doing this wagon train cling to exemplars of like whiteness or like white history that make them feel good about their own experience. Like I if you can tell yourself you're like Laura Ingalls Wilder, I guess that makes you feel good in a moment where like there's a lot of part of like the heartbreak of of the 70s is like thinking about like violence and the sadness of like what does and doesn't change in the civil rights movement. So all of this like explains why white people might cling to signs of whiteness. But what's interesting is the program itself has a whole section called our Indian heritage, where they actually do talk about Native American history. Is the history good? Not really. But it's like interesting to me that there is a page and a half spread about Native American history that at least owns colonialism existed and settler colonialism happened. And in fact, like it happened in wagons and and a lot of the same activities they're doing that that never comes into the books at all. But I mean, I will say, like, if you go read this, the language is somewhat shocking about Native Americans. But and what's really interesting is like there's a displacement of blame from the government for anything that happened to Native Americans. There's a quote that says, by the tide of trappers, miners, traders, settlers and missionaries was relentless. Um, So in that section, basically, it's like all of these professions um, went and settled the West. It had nothing to do with the government. Like we weren't a part of that. That's not our fault. We came in after it already happened. So it just if you read the whole thing, it's really interesting how there's like almost passive language to distance like the blame of any anyone being able to blame the federal government for anything else in 1976. It's like we're going to talk about Native Americans. That's not on us. What's happened is not on us. And they also say by 1924, Indians have enjoyed the full legal rights of citizenship and like basically make it seem like everything's cool. And obviously it's still not. So it's an interesting, but it was interesting that it's like the program actually talks about that. But in the books, like we're only getting references to Laura Ingalls Wilder and George Washington. I feel like in that framework, then Lightning Kelly, right, is as responsible as, you know, the person who pens the Dawes Act or... Right. You know, I think maybe where that comes from. Right. And if you're interested in this, there's a good book by Robert Self called All in the Family. And that's like a play on the sitcom of this era. But thinking about this kind of holding up of a certain kind of like white, particularly like male individualism. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that the hero is like the rugged white male who goes out and does things and also takes action. Right. Who isn't afraid like that would actually come out as criticisms of people like Hank, right? Like that true heroes like take certain kinds of bold action. Whereas in the wake of his service in Vietnam, Hank is kind of a quiet activist. He's planting trees. He's building community. He's trying to fundraise for his VA or to work with Julie on the Eagles. And the ethos of the era is very much like, no, like big, bold. And they're kind of projecting that back on the 1770s. Like it was these men, right? It was Revere. It was these other people where a lot of the direction for the 250th seems to be going. If you like follow up on like what a lot of local sites are doing, there's a lot of sort of, you know, like we're a mess. Let's talk about it. Mm. And I wonder how popular that will be because like, when you already know you're having a bad hair day, you don't want to keep looking in the mirror. And I'm not saying that a historical society's job is to make any one group feel good, but I understand the perspective of, you know, 74 through 76, like let's just make people feel proud of something. I understand that impulse. Yeah, I understand the impulse. I think what's interesting that's not in the book either either is like the actual like all these efforts by groups to celebrate in a like an inclusive way. So not just to do like white pioneer stories or histories of like white founders, but, you know, like the bicentennial was a moment when like black history, public history movement started in D.C. and like women's history and black women's oral history projects at um, uh, well, what's now Harvard, but was um, Radcliffe. 
And, you know, like there was the People's Bicentennial Commission, which was a labor protest organization to kind of like call out like corporate greed and people threw advertisements or signs with like ExxonMobil into the Boston Harbor, like, you know, like doing their own reenactment of the Tea Party. Like so people use the Bicentennial to talk about hard things. And I think and to be inclusive of like, you know, there was a project called above ground archaeology, I think, that was about teaching people how to do local history. And I thought that was really interesting as like a, an approach to commemoration is actually to make it local and encourage people to tell the stories of their own communities. And so not to do such like a top down, like it actually is, it's probably for the best that the national movement localized in one city failed and that all these state and local movements happened instead because it opened up a lot of different means of talking about what it means to be American. And I hope maybe that will happen for the sesqui how is it? Sesquicentennial? We're semi-quincentennial. Semi-quincentennial rolls right off the tongue. I'm sure the brain right. is writing <laughs> super itself. catchy. Yeah, of course. I'll recommend also a book called History Comes Alive. And that has this very central idea. It's an important book in public history because a lot of public history explodes out of and is like the impetus for really good work around the bicentennial. And what I like about this book is its argument that once people could feel an emotional or intimate or personal connection, a tactile connection to the history of their country, that changed the landscape for public history and history overall. And to me, that really made me think, you know, would there have been an American girl without a successful bicentennial? Mm. And you can measure success differently, but that is essentially what makes a pleasant Roland girl boss possible. This idea that you learn something, right, by putting on a certain kind of dress, that you learn something by interacting with the past in an emotional way, and that that's positive. I think it's not a coincidence that that gets mapped onto girls, right, to do a certain kind of effective work or that Julie is the one who does, you know, all these interesting tasks in the book. But it really made me think like, gosh, this is sort of a weird love letter and preamble to American Girl as a thing. Yeah, I mean, I I think it definitely is like I think also the notion that the personal is political like and you could take it further as you're saying like that the personal is historical is something that, you know, is especially open to women in this period like as the women's movement is like literally involving themselves in the bicentennial like to their own ends. But, you know, I think like involving families, like doing the the wagon train is like really a family activity. People literally leave their jobs to take their family on this once in a lifetime adventure for however long they do it. Like if imagine if you started in Alaska and you just like went on the whole journey, it's like what, six months or something like, I mean, that's too long. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I'm like a true Beverly Hills camper. Like I'll stay in a hotel. (laughs) I'll come hang out with you in the woods during the day. But like at night, I'm going to need air conditioning and like a no bug zone. That's just me. That's just like me setting a boundary for myself. But like I celebrate people who love camping. I have a really good friend who went camping a few weeks ago and I sent her a text. that was like, (laughs) just drop a pin. Are you safe? Like she literally posted this beautiful picture of her with some friends in Vermont and was like having the best time. And I was like, are you safe? Like, I'm scared looking at this picture of you out in nature after dark. But, um, you know, needless to say, I, I could see Pleasant being into this, but I could also frankly seeing her be part of like the pure nostalgia of it, because we have to remember that at the same time this is happening, like President Ford is like basically trying to make fetch happen. Like the bicentennial is his fetch where he's like, I need a, I need a moment that's going to make people like me again and believe in the country under my leadership. Again, he was a one-term president, like didn't work out for him, but you know, Ronald Reagan is becoming the leader of his own party. Like he is not even the leader of his party and what's Reagan running under like, I'm proud to be an American. Like it like let's make everyone proud to be an American again. So there's not only people willing to have complicated conversations about their own citizenship and nationhood, but also people who are like actively hoping to rewrite the past or like write out hard conversations about it because, you know, of like this kind of imperial nostalgia is beneficial to them. So I think there's a lot of competing things going on. And I could frankly see Pleasant being part of that, too, of like, I only want to talk about success stories and I don't want to get into like complicated plot lines. Let's not forget Jimmy Carter, like Jimmy Carter write is him out. betwixt these men. 
And Love I him. have a sense that Julie would be a fan that Tracy would maybe want to vote for Jimmy Carter. Like she'd be Fellow all farmer. about Amy Carter. I mean, yeah. the cousins at least like, oh yeah, Amy, iconic. Why do you think we are traveling with cousin April, who's otherwise a somewhat forgettable character and leaving behind Ivy? I don't know, but I don't like it. Like, I feel like yeah. the only reason we're here the only reason April's here is because we needed a family to latch these two onto, basically to go on the wagon trail. And I think Megan was like, it's beyond the pale that dad would be willing to do this on his own with the girls. And mom has is obviously like we support a small business owner, like she's trying to get the shop going. <laughs> And so I think like basically they're only this was a contrivance to get us on the wagon trail so that we could kind of have a bicentennial moment. Because I think if you were writing during this period and you're thinking about big moments in American history, I don't know why, but like this is something that Megan was like, there will be an important bicentennial moment. I guess I really loved the conversations that. Julie and Ivy had as they were looking ahead to the new year. And I hate that six months into the year, we have dropped BFF Ivy like a hot potato. Like we've like we're at the campfire and she's nowhere to be seen. There would have been something really exceptional, I think, in this series about Ivy coming along and Ivy being part of these conversations about belonging and citizenship. And as much as I absolutely adored this book, there is something about right in this country, and I understand it, her desire to find the descendant of the signer of the Constitution that just isn't interesting to me, right? Like that person does not have any more claim than anyone no. else, which is the point, right, of saying fellow citizens, right, and we the people, right? It's the empowering of like out of many one. And instead it's like, yeah, but we really like the person that matters. And I think that's really like the challenge of the 250th, like actually meaning it that all of these people matter and not falling back on, you know, singular people like John Hancock. Right. Yeah. Who has relevance, has importance, but, but isn't this whole story. I mean, yes, I'm a hundred percent with you where it's like it, that that's why this feels like the most conservative book in the series because at the end of the day it's a story about how the people who are elite at the signing of the declaration are still considered within the hierarchy of 1976 to be elites like this man is famous because he's the oldest man in Pennsylvania oldest person 102 but he's like low key, like, you know, my great, 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 whatever, like signed the declaration. And they're like, oh, my God. And then like as if they didn't believe him or he's like decided to really flex once they figure out once he's like, well, you're not going to sell my signature, are you? Because that guy in the the green station wagon was there when they arrived on the horse. First of all, they passed up a day at Hershey Amusement Park to go on this misguided adventure to get an old man's signature. I'm sorry. That was a mistake. Mistake. I'm sorry. Mistake. Let's let's also say it. Let's also say it. There is a strand of this book, despite having certain conservative patriotic beliefs. If we are to support mom, let's support free enterprise, right? Let's support Milton Hershey. Let's support. I don't care about the souvenir seller. I think the souvenir seller is great. Like to me, like. I respect the heck out of that hustle. Okay, thank you for saying that because to me, that is one of the great contradictions of this book, apart from the fact that we're like, let's celebrate equality, but also the man who's a descendant or could be in the Sons of American Revolution is the best. There's also the contradiction of one of the Fight Club rules being that you can't sell anything when I'm sorry, this entire thing is a capitalist enterprise. They, Allison, if you look at the program, I'm going to send you the link to this. There is a ad in the middle of the official program put out by the federal government. Oops, I'm banging my desk so hard I made my microphone fall. But that's literally just an ad for a commemorative, an ugly commemorative coin. So I'm like, I'm sorry, okay. you can't. I want to speak on that coin. Oh boy, yep, should have known. My this grandfather was collected those coins. My grandfather was in a fife and drum group. He was born in England. Didn't matter when he got over here. He picked a side, and that that's side was fine. America. So he collected those coins. Guess how much you can get one of those coins for today on eBay? Just guess. Like a good one. $100. No, $16. (laughs) Guess how much it costs you to get a Julie Bicentennial commemorative coin that has the disclaimer, this is not legal tender. (laughs) Guess how much that starts you at 
today. More than $16. $20. Wow. I literally love that you can get an actual bicentennial coin from the era, but you cannot, like, wow. you are going to pay less for that. Here's what I want to speak on about Mr. Higgins. And he's described as a skinny man with a mustache. I don't like that. I feel like they're trying to paint a picture that I don't appreciate. Okay. And he says, I'm your official bicentennial souvenir shop. And Julie Schatz shoots back. No, you're not. You're not even allowed to be here. Why? I thought this was a free country. I'm reporting you to the wagon master. And then Mr. Higgins, who I feel has earned a right to be here after following that stinky caravan, says, now hold on just a Ben Franklin minute. What did I do? Now, the missing scroll, that's a problem. Mr. Higgins, obvious ancestor to Ben Higgins of Bachelor fame, should be allowed to sell merch at the country's birthday party. Or what was the point? Wow. Why did we fight a war? I mean, you could make the argument that the central core belief of American nationalism is free enterprise or capitalism. And, you know, many Republicans would say that. Um, But... And I do think it's true. I mean, I think the fact that you can look at the Bicentennial and we can share links to this, there were so many commemorative products sold to celebrate the Bicentennial. Like every brand was getting in on it. The government was like selling all kinds of stuff. So this farce, yeah, exactly. Tractors, like lunch boxes, you name it. Like all coins, clothing, all kinds of stuff. Like there was um, clothing companies selling revolutionary era looking costumes because whole towns decided to live a week like it was 1776. My mom grew up in Westerly, Rhode Island. They did this. My grandfather had to grow like, um, what do you call it? Long sideburns. And they had fines for men who didn't, you know, apply, who didn't grow their hair out and all this kind of stuff. Like people like went off. So this, I think it's such a weird contradiction or a farce that like, first of all, there would only be one like unofficial souvenir huckster going on the wagon train. I'm sure there were lots of people selling stuff and souvenirs. I mean, souvenirs are just a part of like commemoration. Like it's everywhere. If you go to any parade, there's like people selling stuff on the street. I just find it so strange that they were like, that's like a really, we can't have that. That's a huge no, no. No. And we have kind of glossed over this because it's not ultimately like the most interesting There's the twin crises of Julie having an issue with Hurricane and then having to learn how to ride her again. And that ultimately ends up being related to the fact that like the scroll with Mr. Witherspoon's signature, obvious ancestor of Reese, also goes missing. Right. So it's like Julie loses her confidence. We lose the signature. She ultimately figures everything out. And so she is kind of anointed to present this gift to President Ford. If you could pick a president of this era to meet, would it be Gerald Ford? Absolutely not. I would meet Betty Ford, but she wasn't even there. She didn't go to Valley Forge that day. Yeah, she knew what was up. She was selling souvenirs elsewhere. No question. Um, That's right. You still could. I still could. I hope he's okay. Um, But, you know, I... I, and also what's very odd about this whole thing. So when she finds, like, she gets the signature, she and April, they come back. And, like, another state, doesn't matter, another state's wagon supervisor has stolen the scroll with the old man's signature because he thinks, like, that will, people are like, that's the most amazing signature. Whoever has that gets to present it to Ford, which, like, who cares? So then Julie figures this out and is like, he stole it. And then she goes into his wagon and steals it back. And it's like a weird like national treasure moment where she's like, I'm not going to steal the Declaration of Independence, but I'm going to steal like the rededication pledge scroll. Odd moment. But what's really odd is at the end of it, he re- she returns it and her wagon master is like, we get to present this to President Ford and like plot twist, Julie, you're going to be the one to do it because you saved the day. And we just see an illustration of her shaking President Ford's hand. We don't get that scene in the book. It's very much like how at the end of the Molly series, we don't actually get the full catharsis of what happens between her and dad. And again, like this book has, you know, like paternity questions and struggles like laced throughout it. The way they choose to end it is kind of like by zooming out and suggesting that Julie has this moment with President Ford. And I know that in the next book, like she's going to get further engaged in politics I do have to imagine that this being written like right on the cusp of the Obama era, like definitely impacted 
almost like the authors and the teams like hedging their bets, right? Like democracy is going to go in one of a few directions in the next few years as they leave the Bush era. And thinking about like the intense protests that swept the country around this time from, you know, before like protests of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, protests or Occupy Wall Street, like Megan McDonald is kind of forced to revisit the bicentennial right in that moment. And I think honestly succeeds very well at not giving us something like super corny, which is hard. Yeah. I mean, I found this book to be really fun. And I do think like to your point about Obama, like I think there is like a through line, maybe like this year deal is plot line of like Julie being really invested in getting, she makes the connection of like, when they're like, we need to get signatures on the rededication pledge. And she's like, I have experience. Like I did my own basketball (laughs) petition. Like have you read book one and they're like, okay, cool. But it seems like that's a way of encouraging to kids reading this book. Like, Hey, like another way of like thinking about commemorating your citizenship is to actually like participate in current things going on. And I think that was like something at least in the zeitgeist around the era of Obama's campaign and that whole moment in politics. What did they have against Hershey Park? I think Hershey is a fascinating story about company towns. I guess we're not getting that. Well, and it's like we didn't even have a conversation about the fact that it's legally not chocolate. You can't call it chocolate. True. But it's like I would have loved to get gone into that. Like I would have loved to have gone on the tour um, gotten a free Hershey kiss with Julie, but I have done that. I have done that as well. And, you know, it was a great time. Enjoyed it. Um, been to Valley Forge. I don't think I've been to Valley Forge. I'm okay with that. I read the dear America and I feel like that really like taught me everything I need to know. Like, I feel like I was there in a sense, but, um, I mentioned before earlier that I wanted to take you on a tour of other bicentennial commemoration events and see which ones you would want to attend. So here's just like a wild speaking. We'll start at Valley Forge. So that day, July 4th, 1976, President Ford goes to Valley Forge where a choir um, is accompanying Neil Armstrong as he recites the Battle of Valley Forge. Would you want to attend? I'm not there. Okay, interesting. Um, Do you want to attend a uh, congressional uh, joint resolution being passed that posthumously made George Washington general of the armies of the United States um, on January 19th, 1976 with uh, restored Washington's position as the highest ranking military officer in U.S. history. Obviously so important to maintain that. That would be a pass as well. Would you want to celebrate the birth of the first baby born on July 4th, who was coined the bicentennial baby? Maybe. What's, I don't know why that happened. And also, would you attend the premiere of Rocky, which is one of few films to actually depict the bicentennial sick commemoration, which features scenes of Apollo Creed and others entering dressed as George Washington and then Uncle Sam as they approach the ring? I'm weeping at the Betsy Ross cottage. That's where I am. I'm putting Betsy Ross cottage in scare quotes because that's like a a topic near and dear to my heart. Would you want to watch Schoolhouse Rock, which were commissioned for the Bicentennial? You don't like Schoolhouse Rock? I'm just a bill. I don't want to lose listeners. I generally don't care for cartoons (gasps) and I don't like cartoons lecturing me. I'm sorry. I know that's a bill. Would you want to go to Denver, which rejected the Winter Olympics, sealing the fate of the United States to not host any Olympics during the bicentennial year? That's high on the list. Yeah, they rejected the Winter Olympics because of the cost. Um, so it was in I Montreal instead. Would you want to attend the unveiling of an alphabet noodle version of the Declaration of Independence presented to President Ford? Yes. OK. Would you want to attend the state visit of Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip to the White House? aboard Britannia, where they actually to Philadelphia, where they presented President Ford with another um, bell cast from the same mold as the Liberty Bell, which is now at Independence Hall. I want to be at the Liberty Bell. I want to separately meet the Queen and I want to meet, you know, Consort Philip. I don't want to be around her for the bicentennial because it feels uncomfortable. Like we can't have the conversations we want to have then. Do you want to be at the Bicentennial Parade where Johnny Cash was the Grand Marshal? No, I don't care for that. What? 
Wow. Okay. Do you want to be at Boston Harbor where people threw packages labeled Gulf Oil Exxon into yes. Boston Harbor in a yes, style that of speaks Boston to me. Tea Party? Yeah, I agree with that. Would you want to watch Roots with James Baldwin, who then wrote a really interesting essay about it in which he makes direct comparisons to the bicentennial year and this being a kind of birthday present that Alex Haley has offered the nation that they may or may not be prepared for? Yes. Okay. End of my tour. I would also want to do that. I think I would want to be able to hop on a jet so I could like be around the Queen Elizabeth, but hoping that I could talk to her tomorrow. I would love to be at a private screening of Roots. Like, I think there's kind of a patchwork of things I would want to do. But really, I want to be photographed at a spinning wheel for Time magazine. That's kind of like, wow. like oh, like humble me, right? In my outfit. I did just buy a 19th century costume again last week. So for what? For private no, use? Like work? What are you talking <laughs> about here? What's for happening? private use makes it sound more interesting than it is. Okay. It's for both like every day and no day. Like oh, what is I it? saw it and said, I just, it's a 19th century woman's plain dress and I already have like the other accoutrement that I need okay. and I said I just have to have this like cool. you know the way that other people react to shoes I was like I have to own this I respect it I respect it um you know I think we have different styles of commemoration and you know to quote Julie like that's what makes America great we're all connected she didn't know that that would get put on red hats like we can let her have that whoo yeah we're gonna let her have that Speaking of greats, yes. we're moving from this, like, you know, after this, we are going to be covering Britney Spears' memoir, which I feel like will be the talk of town for a very long time. Yes. We purposely wanted to allow some time for people to get it, to read it, to process it. We're going to, we needed the time, but we're going to be, we're going to be covering that on our December Patreon. So if you've not joined us there, please do. Um, upcoming episodes, we're going to be doing a book called Meet Me at the Fountain, which is a history of malls, very American. Um, so we're, we have some really exciting stuff coming up. We'll have watch alongs, I'm sure. And the discord community is such a fun place to have conversations about like truly everything. So thanks for everyone who supported us by buying our book. If you've not bought it, please check it out. Um, please post about it. If you enjoyed it, that helps us out. Um, thanks everyone who has supported us along the way. We just really appreciate all of you. And we'll see you on our next episode.